welcome, welcome. My name is Joel Seymour, uh, founding pastor here at the Lancaster Vineyard. If we haven't met, uh, um, that's who I am, is uh, the founding pastor here. And for the last two years, I've been traveling a lot because um, I now work for Vineyard USA, uh, essentially pastoring pastors, um, which I got many stories on, but we'll keep it at that. Um, in fact, this week, Christy and I were blessed to be in Chicago hanging out with some leaders and uh, doing some team building with them. So it is good to be home with our church family and to be able to, to preach today. I'm just going to pray quickly and then uh, going to launch right in. Jesus, I invite your presence. Uh, we thank you that we've experienced you through worship, through communion, even through uh, announcements, just hearing what you're doing in the life of this church, and we thank you for what you're doing. And I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would come and that you would uh, just begin to move among us, that you would move as your word is being taught. And I pray that your, the power of your presence would come to transform our hearts and minds and it would lead to life change and life transformation. Come Holy Spirit. Amen, amen. As I said, I was the founding pastor here at the Vineyard. You know, early on we planted in 1998. Early on, one of the things we did a lot of was something called servant evangelism. And so servant evangelism was essentially us doing free things for people. So like we would pass out bottled waters to people at parks or in parades. Uh, we would do free car washes. We would pass out hot dogs and, and the waters at, uh, in front of local grocery stores. And we'd do all this, and our tagline was, this is free just like God's love. If they tried to give us a donation, we wouldn't, we wouldn't take it. We would just say, no, no, no. It's really, it's free, no strings attached, just like God's love. And so it was very kind of low risk, high grace. You get that low risk, high grace. Uh, but even then, there could be some challenges. Uh, for instance, we had this idea one year of like, what if we like passed out donuts and stamps on April 15th in front of the post office when people are coming to, to mail their taxes? Because this is back when you used to mail your taxes in and not do them electronically. Uh, turns out, People don't want to talk on April 15th. Um, uh, I don't care what you're giving them. They're not happy going to the post office on April 15th. That one, that one didn't work well. Um, for, we did this one thing uh, early on. We did like uh, vineyard matchbooks. So just do whatever you want with that thought. Uh, but we would uh, pass out matchbooks, gas stations, bars, whatever. Were we promoting smoking? I don't know, but it was cool. And so we passed out matchbooks. I remember I was in one bar and uh, uh, this passed out like, and we were passing out like cartons of these things to the bartenders and the people. And uh, this is too for, for the younger generation, like you could actually smoke in places. And so uh, we were passing these things out and uh, one of the, the guys, you know, my newfound friend at the bar, he says, so um, why are you doing this? I said, oh man, it's, it's free, just like God's love, no strings attached. And, and uh, you know, we wanna be a church for everyone. We're just, we're just trying to, to kind of lower the bar when it comes to church. And the guy looks at me and he goes, well man, don't lower the bar, I, I like coming here. I still want it to be here. And I was like, wait, wait a second, he thinks I'm here to destroy the bar, like lower it, to like raise the bar. Like, I'm not sure if he didn't understand figurative speech or it had one too many or both, but I went on to explain to my friend what I meant by my metaphor of lower the bar. So servant evangelism, the low risk, high grace, didn't always go so well. You know. Evangelism in itself can be tough. We've been doing this series called People on Mission, and evangelism can be tough. One of, the, one of the reasons it can be tough is because 
our bodies actually tell us when we have something important to say, right? Have you ever had to say something important? Your body actually tells you it's important, right? Like your heart rate goes up. You start sweating, right? Um, you, your, your tongue gets like three times as big and sticks to the roof of your mouth. You know, like you're saying things like, you know, 30-some years ago, you know, asking Christy out. Like, normally I can talk like this, but it was like, hey, Christy, would you want, that stuff doesn't work. Like, my tongue, no longer, something is wrong. It's actually a lie. She, she actually invited, or uh, she uh, asked me out. Uh, I, I, it was so hard, I never asked her out. So, but she asked me out to prom, just as friends. See where that led. Uh, so... It's, it, our bodies tell us. In fact, you know, we'll have people sign up for all kinds of things, like, like the, the, the great thing a couple weeks ago, the men's uh, day when they did a lot of work around the church, which is they did a great job, or, uh, you know, the food pantry banquet last night, which I heard went well, or these, these different things, you know, of like men's bonfire, 60-some guys show up, whatever. Those are awesome. But like you say, hey, we're going to go share our faith today, and it can be tough to get people to come. In fact, if I'm leading it, there's days where I'm like, Am I coming or not? You know, like it could just be tough to say important things and to actually take the step. Um, now, sometimes when we're, we're talking about evangelism, we'll just say things like, well, we're, we're just planting seeds and, and that we're not actually getting to the place of leading somebody to Jesus, but we planted some seeds. And, and I, have a, I have a few thoughts on that. I mean, one thing is I, I do think it can be helpful to plant seeds. In 1975, there was a, uh, a behavioral scientist, he was a, he was a believer, he was a Christian, and he was looking at consumer behaviorism, and then he began to apply what he was learning to evangelism, and his name was Engel. He came up, Professor Engel came up with the Engel Scale. And so the Engel Scale, we'll put it up there on the, on the screen, the Engel Scale just essentially shows you kind of how you move through uh, as a believer uh, through different, uh, or as you move somebody through becoming a believer. And so it, it might be a little difficult, you can see it. At negative 10 on the Engel Scale, we'd say these are folks that they might have some awareness of the supernatural. Like, ah, there, there is something supernatural out there. But he just charted it out like of no effective knowledge of Christianity. Then an initial awareness of Christianity. He just moves all the thing up till like the last three before zero. Awareness of personal need, a challenge and decision to act, repentance and faith. And then a disciple is born and he talks through the stages of that. And one of the reasons the angle scale can be helpful is, is you begin to realize that if I'm talking to somebody, maybe they don't even have an awareness of the supernatural. Maybe they don't even believe that there's a supreme being at all. That if I'm in a conversation and the person actually just moves to that, then that's a win, right? Like if they don't believe there's any supreme God or being at all, and through the conversation and through talking, they begin to move and they say, oh, you know what, I, I guess there, there could actually be a God. Well, that's actually a good thing. That's where planting seeds can help. It also lets me know if they don't believe in a, in a supreme being and they just get to an awareness of the supernatural, that probably isn't the time for me to go, well, do you need to repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? That, that's probably a bridge too far, right? Um, so think of that. So planting seeds are good because it helps people move through, through those things, those, those stages. That's where I think planting seeds can be good. But I, but I do have 
a couple concerns about just this thought as we think about evangelism as just planting seeds. And some of those concerns, one of those concerns is this. We have an increasingly secular culture where fewer and fewer people have a, a biblical worldview, and so they have no framework for the, for the gospel. They have no framework for this. And in fact, our culture is moving away from kind of zero on the scale of disciple is born. They're moving away from that. And so how, how do we begin to draw people back towards Jesus? And if we have an increasingly secular society, how do we get people to kind of move quicker through the Ingle scale? How do we do that? That, that would be, a, those, are, those would be things I would want to talk about even today. I also have another concern about just planting seeds when it comes to being people on mission and being evangelists. Um, and it's this, when Jesus talks about evangelism, his two favorite metaphors are fishing and farming. And he's talking to people who are commercial fishermen and commercial farmers. Um, if you were to ask four of Jesus' disciples who were commercial fishermen before they started following Jesus, if you were to say, hey, did, did, you, did you have a good day at fishing today? They would have never said, yeah, man, it was, I really got my cast down on the, on the shore and I uh, just enjoyed the peace and of just casting over and over. Um, I, I was out on the boat and I got better at, at throwing my net out a little farther and pulling it in. That's a good day. They'd say it's a horrible day because their livelihood depending on how, depended on how much fish they caught, how many fish they caught, and their food supply. So for their family, plus they would take it to the marketplace and earn money, like everything was dependent on that. Uh, take farming, for example. Just planting seeds is not the goal, right? My dad's a farmer. He's very happy when planting season's over. It feels like an accomplishment. But he would be devastated if nothing happened in the fall, if there wasn't a harvest. You know, I wouldn't say, hey, did you have a good year of farming? He goes, hey, man, yeah, I got all the crops in before, you know, Memorial Day. It went great, and the planter worked, didn't have anything break. That was a great year of farming. Nothing came up, you know. It was drought all year, and, and uh, we, didn't, we didn't have a crop, but it was a great year because I planted really well. It, that wouldn't work, would it? So I do get a little concerned in, in, in followers of Jesus who are always talking about planting seeds, but they never talk about actually leading people to Jesus or even getting them into a space to lead people to Jesus. So how could we begin to move people uh, closer to Jesus? What's something we could do in our everyday life to be people on mission with God? How could we start leading more people to Jesus? And in this increasingly more secularized culture, how could we begin to move people uh, quickly towards Jesus? Uh, through even if we were to look at something like the Engel scale. To answer those questions, we're gonna look at Acts chapter eight. So if you have your Bible, turn there. We're gonna join the story of, a, of, a, of the early church that the early church is growing rapidly at this point. Um, it has it is generally enjoyed uh, success in Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, it has generally, it has had some persecution, but more like spotty persecution. They were kind of in their own culture that they knew really well. Um, there had been a few hiccups, like some of the Christians who were from a Jewish background who were from Palestine and Israel, and, and, and between those Jews who'd grown up in, in more Greek lands, there was some you know, rub there, but they worked it out. Things were going generally well until right before Acts chapter eight, 
and then there's wholesale persecution throughout the town of Jerusalem and Judea, and it caused the believers to, to be scattered. The persecution was so bad, they scattered to other places outside of their normal culture. Take a look at Acts chapter 8, verse 4, and we'll pick up on the story there. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Probably could do a sermon just on that sentence. They preached the gospel wherever they went. Philip, one of the believers, went down to a city in Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Pause there, we'll keep going. But earlier in Acts, we learn of Philip Philip is one of the Christians who's from a Jewish descent, from a, from a more Greek background, and he had been uh, the leader of kind of the Grecian Jewish Christians uh, in Jerusalem. He'd led a feeding program. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit, faith, and wisdom. That's when we're first introduced to him. Now he has been scattered by persecution. He ends up in a place called Samaria, which you've Heard the sermons the last couple of weeks. We've referred to Samaria in different of the teachings. It was a place where uh, people from the Jewish background and Samaritan backgrounds, they hated one another. Um, they would both say God created each other to be the kindling of hell. Pretty harsh. Um, uh, it, it was bad stuff between them. And yet Philip ends up preaching the gospel there. We learn that he preaches the gospel and there's healings and, and demonic deliverances and the things and, and demonic power of God was there. It says with shrieks, demons left people and people were healed. See, in the early church, the New Testament church, they believed that you needed the word of the gospel, you needed good deeds, that your deeds and words should match, and then there was God's power, and where those three things overlapped, that was where the New Testament uh, church landed. In fact, I have a little Venn diagram, you can see that. Just that these three things where word and deed and power overlapped, that's where the New Testament church lived. They utilized the power of God for both the word and the deed. And the results were there was great joy in the city. We learned that many believed in Jesus and were baptized. Some just moved further down what that Ingle scale I shared earlier. This was, a, this was a place, the Samaritans, they only believed in the first five books of the Bible. So they didn't have a lot of the prophecies about Jesus. They were waiting for some sort of a Messiah, but they didn't have all the rest of the Old Testament. They were, they were kind of seen as outsiders. Um, they had built their own temple because they didn't believe in the one in Jerusalem. Um, and a military leader from, from the Jewish religion in uh, about 100 years before this story took place, he actually marched an army up and destroyed the temple. And so now they just, they just worshiped on a mountain. They, these groups didn't like each other. The Samaritans didn't have much of a foundation beyond just the first five books of the Old Testament. And yet Philip comes in and preaches Jesus to them. And because of the word and the deeds and the power of God being present, it moved these people quickly through that scale and they became followers of Jesus Christ. Word and deed and power. Historically in the vineyard, we've called this power evangelism. I have a definition of it that you can read on the screen. Power evangelism is a spontaneous, 
spirit-inspired, empowered presentation of the gospel. Power evangelism is evangelism that is preceded and undergirded by supernatural dimensions of God's presence. I don't have it on the screen, but I'll continue to read a quote. It's, it's from a book called Power Evangelism. Through these supernatural encounters, people experience the presence and power of God. Usually this takes the form of words of knowledge, healing, prophecy, and deliverance from evil spirits. In power evangelism, resistance to the gospel is overcome by a demonstration of God's power in supernatural events, and receptivity to Christ's claims is usually very high. I propose to us all that perhaps one way, maybe even a chief way, that we could reach people with the gospel of Jesus more effectively in this increasingly polarized and secular world is through power evangelism. Of course, we need rational evangelism. We, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it and be able to explain it. Of course, we need program evangelism, things like outreach events or servant evangelism, helpful tools or, or little tracks can be helpful at times to help explain things. We, we need program stuff. But we must not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus and the power of God. As an early Christian leader, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Later he would write, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Perhaps, one of the better tools in our toolbox for being a people on mission in this particular culture and society we currently live in is power of angels. Responding to the power of the Spirit, praying for people, seeing God touch people, and for people to go, wow, God must be real, I just felt something. I just felt a supernatural peace. I just felt something unlock in my heart. I, I just was healed. Or how did you know to pray that? Because that's exactly what I've been going through. Now you might be saying, Joel, this, this sounds all good and nice, but it also sounds a little over the top. Like, um, I'm not sure I'm ready to pray for people and have people respond with great shrieks <laughs> as demons fly out of them. Fair enough. Um, that, that, that might be a bridge too far. You know, I get it. But I don't know that it's just that because although I think that's part of power of answers, I think it can be more quiet and subtler than that. Take the let's look at the next story about Philip. Chapter 8, verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, he went on his way, and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in, all, in charge of all the treasury of the Candaic, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now here's what we know about this guy. He's a high up official, he's Ethiopian. He traveled from Af Africa up to Jerusalem to worship. Um, most likely, it, it, the word isn't used here, but he, he, he's most likely some kind of a God-fearer, meaning he's a Gentile, but somehow he believes that the God of the Jews is the real God and he ought to at least go worship that God. He's not a full-on convert to Judaism or anything, but, but there's some kind of respect and honor that he's giving the God of Israel, and so he goes there, but he's not a follower of Jesus. 
Now this story is a little more subtle than the shrieks and all that in the previous story. An angel of the Lord and the Spirit guided Philip. In the story, there's no real distinction between the angel and the Spirit, and there's no indication that something over the top happened to, to kind of shake Philip to do this. It was just the subtle voice of the Lord and the Spirit. Go down this road. Once he goes down that road, it was, go to this chariot, stand near it. Look what happens next, verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Well, how can I unless someone asks uh, or someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Don't you love that? There's this nudge. Hey, today, why don't you go down this road? Okay, I'll go down the road. He's walking down the road. He sees a chariot. There's a nudge from the spirit. Why don't you go stand next to that chariot? Okay, God, I'm game. I'll do that. He goes next, and the guy just happens to have a scroll open and just happens to be reading a prophecy about Jesus, but he has no idea what he's reading about. Bill says, do you know what you're reading? And he goes, ah, man, I don't, unless somebody explains it. And from that moment, Philip begins to explain the gospel of Jesus to this man. We find out later that he gets saved, he gets baptized, and to this day, the church in Ethiopia traces its history back to that one man, 2,000 years later. All because of a, just a nudge from the Spirit. And somebody just crazy enough to obey the nudge. You know, if you've been around the vineyard long enough, you know this is part and parcel to who we are. John 5, 19 through 20, when Jesus is confronted by some people who uh, were critiquing his healings that he was doing, and on the days of the week that he was deal doing healings, he's doing it on the Sabbath, and he goes, hey, I, I only do what I see the Father doing. Later he says, I only say the words I hear the Father saying. And so since the early 80s in our own history as a vineyard movement, and then since 1998 when this church was planted, John 5:19 has been a hallmark verse for us of, like, we don't have to make anything happen. It's one reason we don't hype up our services. We don't hype things up at ministry time. If anything, we kind of dial down, right? And why don't we hype anything up? Because we don't, we don't need that. What we need to do is just see what the Father is already doing and just respond to that. If the Father's already healing somebody, we just need to say, the Father's doing some healings right now. If the Father is speaking words of encouragement, we just need to say that. If the Father is nudging us and saying, talk to your coworker today, then we just assume God is already at work and we just join him on his mission. Acts 1.8 says, when you wait on the Holy Spirit, I will give you my power to be my witnesses. There's something about having the Holy Spirit and seeing what the Father is doing and then having his power to help us share the good news of Jesus. 
Luke 12, talking about persecution, Jesus would say, when you're persecuted and you're even before judges and juries and kings, do not fear what you're gonna say. My Holy Spirit will give you the words in the moment. There's this thing that we're joining in with what God is already doing and he will give us the courage to say the things and he will give us the words themselves to speak. Responding to the nudge of the Spirit helps us nudge people closer to Jesus. If you want to see God's power in your life, then start obeying God's prodding in your life when he prods you, when he nudges you to have that conversation. Over the years, I've heard numerous stories of people obeying the nudges of God and watching the results. Recently read of a realtor who was helping an elderly couple sell their home. They were selling it because their daughter had just went through a rough divorce and they were gonna move closer to her to be able to help her with the kids. As the realtor was walking through these grandparents' homes, he, he saw the pictures of a once happy family and he had a nudge to pray for them. And so he said, hey, I know this is odd, but you're going through a lot. Can I just pray for you that I just believe God wants to give you his supernatural peace. And he prayed for this couple, this older couple, and the Spirit of the Lord fell on them and they experienced incredible peace from the Lord. That's a version of power evangelism. Over the last three weeks, I've tried to be more intentional about praying because um, these types of prayers simply because I knew I was gonna be teaching this and it felt a little hypocritical to teach it if I wasn't doing it. So um, I just wanted to be more intentional. So every day I just kind of pray, okay God, give me eyes to see. And I would love to tell you that every day I prayed with somebody. I would love to tell you every time I had a nudge, I followed through. But that would be lying. <laughs> what I do know is, by praying every day and saying, God, open my eyes, who do you want me to speak to? I've spoken to more people in my everyday life, and I've prayed with more people these last 21 days than I had the previous, just because I was very intentional about, Father, I've been at this a long time, but again, show me what you're doing. Who are you working on? There were times, like when I was in a grocery store and I felt drawn to a person who was in the bakery. She, she was working in the bakery. She was leaned over on a counter and walking through the grocery store and immediately I was drawn to that baker and knew that I was supposed to pray for her. And I said, ah, oh God, like, okay, gotta do this. Um, so I walk over and I don't really know how, what, what's the opening line in that moment, you know? Can I have a cookie? You give me a cookie, I'll give you a prayer. I don't know. Um, so I'm just quirky enough. I just led with what I had. Hey, ma'am, I'm working on a teaching, and as part of the prep, I'm just praying with people, and I would love to pray for you. If there is a God, and if he can do anything, what would you want him to do? I mean, that's about as awkward as an opening as you can get, but I just launched. She goes, Absolutely. I was shocked at that point. Um, I expected freak, get out of here. Um, here's a cookie if you'll leave. Um, you'll, you know, um, she just said, you may have noticed the way I'm leaning over. I'm leaning over because I've had severe back pain um, and she went through some life situations that had led to that and she, she said, I have severe back pain and there's times at work I just have to take a break and lean like this and it's about the only way that it'll, that'll go away. I said, well, can I pray for you? And so she said, yeah. And so she's across the counter. I'm over here and just pray for her. And had a great conversation. Now, I don't know if there was any perceptible healing in the moment. There didn't appear to be. What I do know is 
she was incredibly joyful and encouraged at the end of the prayer. We had a good conversation. Rick Warren, some of you read Purpose Driven Life. One time he was, um, he's the author of that book. He was interviewing uh, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, John Wimber, and he says, when you pray for people to be healed, what's your number one hope when they leave? And he goes, John answered, my number one hope when people leave uh, me praying for them, my number one hope is that they would feel loved. I just want them to know that God loves them. That's the goal. What if the secret of being a people on mission with God is simply responding to his nudge of the Spirit? When we respond to the nudge of the Spirit, it helps us nudge people closer to Jesus. If you want to see God's power in your life, start obeying God's prodding in your life. You know, it's one of the things I love about Alpha. I'm going to finish with a story, just a couple quick applications here, but it's one of the things I love about Alpha. Um, you know, a few weeks into Alpha, prayer is introduced. Um, people are given a, a, an opportunity to pray if they want, and then prayer for healing is introduced. There's a Holy Spirit weekend where people somewhere on the, the angle scale I showed early on in the teaching, like the Holy Spirit hits and people begin to jump pretty quickly towards Jesus just because they feel the presence of the Lord. You know, in January 2021, a woman began attending our church and the first Sunday that she attended was actually kind of awkward. Yeah, we'd had a snow emergency that day and we actually canceled service and we were just live streaming. So she walks in and it's like our staff two other people who didn't hear that we'd canceled service, and then, you know, like, the band and me up here, you know, it's like, it was a little weird, you know, in, the, in this room with, like, five people, and, but that was the day she showed up. She didn't know churches canceled because of snow emergencies, um, but she came, and then uh, our, one of our directors, Cassie, uh, invited her to go out to lunch, and so they, they went out to Panera. Apparently, Panera didn't close because of snow emergency. I don't know what this says about us, but, um, she goes to Panera and they have a they have a conversation and we were just beginning the very first rendition of Alpha here and so Cassie says you know you you, you might want to check out Alpha if this church thing is is totally new to you and so she said yeah I think I'd like to do it church was completely new to this woman she hadn't gone to church since she was a little girl she didn't know people like didn't bring Bibles but brought their phones to church and read the Bible this way didn't know that songs had the lyrics on the screen so. Church, this kind of church was, was very, very new to her. Just hadn't been since she was a young girl. But she did find herself in a rather tough situation in life, and there was something in her that said, I need to get to church. She ended up at the vineyard that snowy morning because she was actually going to go camping. And while talking to her coworker about her plans, her coworker was nudged by the Spirit and he said, why do you keep staying in this tough situation? And she replied, because it's what I deserved. And her coworker responded, well, then you don't know God. And he, she said, something just hit her in that moment of, I need God, I need to find a church. And then her coworker said, I go to the Lancaster Vineyard, you should go. And it was that very next snowy Sunday morning, she came by herself. She decided that even though she'd only been to church twice by that, because she said, I was ready to jump in. Sarah Bay and I led this first alpha group. It was still, we were still in the pandemic, and so we hosted it on Zoom. I think there was like 10 people. We had eight people from Lancaster and two people from Palm Springs, California on our alpha group. Hospitality, which usually includes dinner and snacks at alpha, was provided by uh, Sarah driving around and like putting 
and we had when people registered, we had them put their like favorite snacks and beverages and everything. And so she was going around putting like gift bags in people's doors before uh, Alpha started. She didn't go to Palm Spring. We door dashed those people. Um, this woman who was new to our church was quiet, but she participated. And it became apparent early on there was a spiritual battle happening inside of her. She wouldn't have called it that then, but looking back, she says she realized that Satan was battling to keep her in turmoil, but she kept showing up. We did the Holy Spirit weekend in person. We decided to risk it all and be in person. And so we met upstairs. We, even, we had a big screen TV, and we Zoomed our Palm Springs new friends in. Uh, and the rest of us met for Holy Spirit weekend. And the Holy Spirit showed up. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and experienced God's love in a tangible way. She'd already experienced some of God's presence in worship during our Sunday morning, but she said this was deeper. She said she wasn't sure what was happening as we prayed, but she said, I just felt so much peace and joy. When I asked her last week about her Alpha experience, she talked specifically about her experience, about her Alpha experience. She talked experience of the Holy Spirit. I really felt the Holy Spirit, she said. I wasn't sure what it was entirely, but I just felt so much peace and joy. I was feeling things physically. I was shaking, not, not so much even outwardly, but inwardly, and it was a good shaking. There's a few things I noticed about her story. She was telling me it again last week. One is God was pursuing this woman way before anybody talked to her. If you think we're a people on mission and we're gonna take Jesus to people, I got news for you, Jesus is already with people. He's working on them way before you and I are. <laughs> But he does use us. And that's where a coworker comes to mind that says, uh, if you think you deserve the situation you're in, you don't know God. I go to this church, would you like to come? It takes people, it takes somebody responding to the nudge of God. It takes somebody to go, hey, wanna, wanna go to lunch afterwards? Like Cassie did, responding to the nudge. It's in the conversation of, you know, you, you, really, you really ought to try Alpha. I think it would be good for you. That stuff is just as much power evangelism as if she was healed of something dramatically or if demons released in the moment. It's responding to the nudge of God and doing what the Father is doing in the moment. The prophetic words that were spoken over at the Holy Spirit weekend was prophetic evangelism too. I'm not sure when she got saved, when she said yes to going to church, I don't know. As she kept coming to Alpha and surrendering more and more of her life to Jesus? Maybe. What I do know from her own testimony is she says, I just got to the point where I'd had enough of Satan and his pool on my life and I wanted more God and Jesus. So I followed him. Who do you need to invite to your Alpha group? Responding to the nudge of the Spirit helps us nudge people closer to Jesus. If you want to see God's power in your life, then start obeying God's prodding. Some applications and then we'll, we'll pray. Who is God nudging you to stand nearby? In the story it was, hey, go, go near this chariot. Who is God calling you to stand nearby? It's a family member, a neighbor, coworker tomorrow, classmate you're in college or high school with. See, God has placed you, Acts 17, 34 and 35 says, God has placed you somewhere so that people around you can reach out and know that God is not far off. Who is he nudging you to stand nearby? And then as you stand by them, can you pray that prayer? Father, show me what you're doing in this person's life. I want to jump in. So when they say, 
man, it was a rough weekend with the kids. Well, tell me more. Why was it rough? And they begin to share, and you go, you know what? I have found that as I follow Jesus and I pray that he helps me parent my kids. Can I pray for you right now? It's paying attention when somebody is going through a difficult situation in their life and finding ways to invite Jesus into that situation. Remember, the Spirit is the power who will give you the words to speak in that moment. I think another way to do power evangelism is to do I see in you. I see in you is just simply a way to speak prophetically into people's life. A few weeks ago, I was at a coffee shop. I tend to work at a coffee shop because I get tired of being in my basement and not being with people in my newfound role. And so uh, I'll go to a coffee shop and work, and I just noticed that this barista is always joyful, always helping people, going the extra mile, serving people. And so one day when I went in and was ordering my coffee, I said, you know what I see in you? I just see in you that you are always joyful. You always bring people up. And that's like a gift from God. Like you're wired in such a way that you bring people up. And we had a short conversation because there was a line, so it wasn't appropriate. But I do think it sets me up for another conversation with her to go deeper. It was simply just looking at her and saying, I see in you. And what I was seeing in her, I believe, was with the Spirit of God giving me eyes to see certain attributes that I could pull out of her um, and, and, and encourage her with. And then, of course, one of the best ways of doing power evangelism is just saying, can I pray for you right now? You see, when we pray, we're calling on the kingdom of heaven and the God of the universe to break into the room right then. People's lives are touched by God's love, care, and healing. And after they sense God's presence, it opens the door for us to say, you sensed that, you felt that, didn't you? That was the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, saying he loves you. Can I share with you what Jesus has done in my life? It opens the door.